This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane and today our guest is Zach Leonsis. He is the Senior Vice President of Strategic Innovations and General Manager of the Monumental Sports Network uh, and also a 40 Under 40 Sports Business Journal Award recipient. Amazing guy. Probably our first 40 Under 40 winner, uh, which is, you know, basically the best uh, and biggest award you can receive in the sports business. So totally thankful for him. Uh, Totally thankful that he was so responsive uh, to interview changes and incredibly responsive when it came to uh, emails. Uh, I need to get better at being more responsive uh, in a timely manner to emails. And he was on point. If a sports business journal 40 under 40 award recipient can do it, I can do it, and he's just running a massive organization, uh, which is Monumental Sports. And we dive deep into his role um, in running the uh, Monumental Sports Network and the content that they provide. Very interesting stuff. We go in to the uh, strategic decision their team made to make Monumental Sports not an elite sports and entertainment company, but also a mega media company as well. Uh, they have uh, their company, Monumental Sports, has been on the forefront of sports betting for a long time, and I wanted to learn more about what kind of led them down that path and where they think sports betting will go. We also talk about esports. They're very, very bullish on esports, uh, and Zach describes in detail of what their strategic plays are uh, in esports, and uh, we. He tells a amazing Alexander Ovechkin story of Alexander dunking on people uh, playing basketball. Incredible athlete. Anyway, I found all the conversation uh, very, uh, I found it a lot of fun. It was awesome. I had a ton of fun doing this. And uh, if you also think this is awesome and a ton of fun, please share our conversation. Give it the five-star review on iTunes, or should I say Apple Podcasts, and um, give us a follow on our on social media, um, and uh, we'd be so very appreciative of that. So, without further ado, the Senior Vice President of Strategic Innovations and General Manager of the Monumental Sports Network, Zach Leonsis. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane and my guest today is Zach Leonsis. He is the Senior Vice President of Strategic Initiatives and General Manager of Monumental Sports Network. Uh, Zach, welcome to Front Office Features. Thanks so much, Rob. I'm uh, happy and excited to participate with you. It is so good to have you and uh, very thankful uh, for you to join me. Um, 
So I was going through and doing all my research and it was a ton of fun to learn for me a lot about monumental sports. But as I kept diving deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, I was overwhelmed by what Monumental does. Is there any way that you could give like a 30,000 foot overview about what Monumental Sports and Entertainment is all about and your business kind of in general? Yeah, of course. So we really like to pride ourselves on being the fastest-growing, fully integrated sports, entertainment, and media company in North America. We'd love to become one of the largest, if not the largest, sports and entertainment uh, companies in the world. Um, We're best known for our team brands like the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards. We also own and operate um, our WNBA champion, Washington Mystics. We have a G League team, the Capital City Go-Go. We have two minor league hockey affiliates in can I, the Hershey. Can I ask a Go question? Ahead. Where did where did the name Go Go's come from? <laughs> the Go-Go is a name that is truly authentic to Washington, D.C. Uh, a music era, uh, a period that, that's very, very popular here is Go-Go music. And so Go-Go music is um, um, all about beat and rhythm. And, you know, we just thought it really resonated truly um, with the speed of the game in basketball, too. So there's a little bit of a play on words. But uh, when we announced the name Go-Go, I think a lot of people outside of Washington were curious what the name meant. And a lot of people in Washington uh, really fully embraced it and, and bought a lot of gear, too. So we, we love that team. We've also made uh, significant investments in eSports. We're investors in an endemic team called Team Liquid, which competes across 13 different eSport titles. Uh, we're one of 23 NBA 2K League teams, and we've also just announced the launch of a capped gaming NHL eSports acquisition, uh, activation. Um, we operate Capital One Arena, located here in downtown. Washington, D.C. We have two practice facilities, one for the Capitals, one for the Wizards, a four and a half thousand person <laughs> arena with the Mystics and the Go-Go Play. It's unbelievable. 10,000 arena. Um, a couple of media networks. We have Equity and NBC Sports Washington and a streaming platform called Monumental Sports Network. And then we have a variety of additional investments, too. So we have 27 enterprises and counting underneath the Monumental Sports and Entertainment umbrella. And we'd love to continue to grow, uh, continue to to grow asset value, continue to grow the platform, and strengthen all the businesses along the way, too. I love that you use the term platforms. That's one of the words that I've realized when I was uh, researching what was going on with you guys is you use the term flat platforms and owning different platforms. What type of business efficiencies do you gain uh, from all those different platforms, as you call them? Well, I think that we, we're a very unique business in that we have some larger at-scale and mature assets, like the Capitals, the Wizards, and Capital One Arena. It grants us access to incredible database, incredible audience and reach, incredible cultural relevance. We can make a tremendous impact um, from a social impact perspective, but also from a, a reach and working with our corporate partnerships perspective, too. Then we have some smaller entrepreneurial and more venture ta- venture capital-like opportunities, and we really look at this as an opportunity to equip them on a booster seat so that they can grow even faster and have a higher likelihood of success. We want to really invest in smaller venture capital opportunities that we think in the long term 
term a decade plus from now can turn into core level assets. We're also potentially interested in acquiring already mature businesses that are cash flow positive and that can enhance the platform even more. We of course have shared services, shared sales teams and whatnot. And as we plug and play new assets into the platform, we feel that it's an opportunity to strengthen um, all of the assets within the monumental sports and entertainment umbrella. And one of the words you used in, um, as you just described it, and I've seen you uh, describe it before, is intrapreneurial, the intrapreneurial spirit. What do you mean by that? Well, entrepreneurship is exhibiting entrepreneurial skill sets within a larger organization. There are so many examples of big and very uh, important and prestigious companies that failed to innovate, that failed to foster entrepreneurial activities in launching strategic products that could address future needs or potentially even brand new audiences that are using products and services in a completely different way. A great example of us being intrapreneurial is launching our own streaming platform, Monumental Sports Network. The linear business and cable is so incredibly important to the traditional sports world. Um, there, we see the, the changes happening with cord cutting and cord shaving. We want to be proactive, and we are very lucky in that we live in a community that's primarily millennial and Gen Z based. We have an a, a, a very quickly growing audience here in the mid-Atlantic, and we need to to make sure we're delivering all of our content uh, via a variety of, cha- of channels that are accessible and most desired um, for that younger audience. And so the ability to go direct to consumer, launch an end-to-end service that's available on nearly a dozen apps and platforms delivering live programming and on-demand programming for all of our teams is incredibly important to us. So entrepreneurship can be just as important as entrepreneurship and very strategically important to a larger organization goals and future outlook and one of uh, you let's dive a little bit deeper into the monumental sports network this is something with you've really supercharged the subscriptions and you've really made this really from its infancy to now it just keeps growing exponentially can you take us through some of the driving principles of this project for your company Of course. So, you know, I think one of the great things about Monumental is that we really do truly consider ourselves a media business. We're not just a sports entertainment business. That's obviously a critical and core function of our day-to-day operations. But the revenues and the reach that we get from media is significant. I mean, you don't have to look too much further than the national agreement struck between the NBA and the NHL with ESPN and Turner and NBC Sports, respectively, plus the local deals that team partners have with local RSNs to understand how important accessibility um, and, and just distribution are to fandom. We want to make sure that our teams are totally accessible to all of our fans today and in the future. The cable model, I think, is still a a fabulous business and it's a fabulous value for customers. You're getting hundreds of channels for less than $100 per month as opposed to one service that might cost you anywhere between $9.99 and $14.99 a month on a direct-to-consumer basis. Um, But we understand that in the future, 
a linear bundle may only be part of the audience and you know it's primarily the younger audience um, people age 30 and below who are preferring to curate their own bundles hey I want to have an out-of-market sports package plus ESPN plus plus Netflix or I want Hulu plus a skinny bundle plus Spotify um, there's a lot of great consumer choice out there that's enabling people to really just identify the things that they value. One of the things that we feel very advantaged by is the fact that live sports rights are the most valuable piece of content out in the market. And if you looked at the top 100 highest rated Nielsen events uh, for many of the past several years, uh, you'd notice that nearly 90% of those events are live sporting events. It's great. It's, cra it's, cra it's crazy. It's crazy. It blows everything away. It does, and so um, we are prepping for that future, and I think we very much think that the pie is definitely not shrinking. The pie is just shifting in terms of distribution and how people are consuming. Um, people will, will always value live sports, but we need to make sure that our, our sports are accessible so that people can feel like they're fans. Our biggest fear is that if you don't have cable and you're not coming to games, our only touch point with you might be through social or for you, you know, watching a game at a local sports bar. We want to have a bigger connection with you and we really pride ourselves on, on treating our fans the right way. And so making our content universally accessible um, is incredibly important to us and it's very strategic to us in the long, uh, in the long view as well. well. I think you do a wonderful job with Monumental Sports Network um, in regards to individualizing the content that um, that they're receiving. You want to talk through a little bit about your strategic thought process of the individualization of the content through Monumental Sports Network? I think personalization, personalization is a yep. theme and factor for the future. Um, there is so much content online, it can be sometimes very difficult to discover the next piece of programming that you might enjoy. You know, Amazon and now Netflix have really pioneered and broken through on what the you know the exact code is on a perfect recommendation engine. Um, sure, there's a little bit of Big Brother to this, and sometimes that can be uncomfortable. I'll yeah. be the first to admit that um, you know sometimes seeing a banner ad online about something that I recently had a discussion <laughs> with someone about it, it can be a little unnerving. There's certainly a line, um, but recommendation engines when they work can certainly be a big advantage to. Uh, network platforms and also be a great benefit for consumers too. Um, I think one of the great advantages that OTT and streaming platforms have is that they have unlimited shelf space. Linear, you're confined by your channel number or your channel numbers. Um, in in an OTT world, you can create multiple feeds if you'd like. And so, you know, some of the work, for example, that we're actually doing with NBC Sports Washington is we've decided to roll out 20 alternate predict-the-game feeds across Washington Wizards games. And when you watch those games on NBC Sports Washington Plus, the channel right above NBC Sports Washington, you'll notice that there's an L-bar design with advanced stats popping up on your screen and then real-time questions being asked on the bottom. Those real-time questions can be answered online and then the scoreboard will be updated 
to see how you stack in terms of your sports knowledge compared to uh, the, the rest of the general audience. This is a 1.0 start, and I think that it's a trend that we'll see uh, come you know uh, more often in the future. And when it comes to OTT, we'd love to start to develop more opportunities like that, but then also other alternate feeds, perhaps a feed that features your friends commenting on, on the game, um, perhaps a feed that's uh, you know spoken by you know players and alumni giving you their perspective on what's happening. Maybe one day there's a feed um, given to you by a coach, and the coach is analyzing and dissecting plays as they happen and in real time. We think that there are a lot of different opportunities to surprise and delight our customers. Um, we worked, for example, with a company called Kisswee Mobile um, to install multi-camera perspectives in our mobile app so that users can choose to watch the game from the traditional half-court line or they can watch via slash cam look or underneath the basket or via RoboCam located underneath the center-hung display at one of our arenas. And so we want to continue to um, refine the production experience and make the broadcast as much as we can a two-way conversation um, that's reflective of the audience voice as opposed to what it mostly is today, a one-way conversation where a producer is in a pr production vehicle and saying, go to camera one, go to camera three, run the replay here, run the stats package, and they're making their best guess as to what you really want. They do a pretty good job at it, there's no doubt about it, but I think that the interactivity that digital inherently can share with users is very uh, special and we should take advantage of it. Yeah, I think this kind of goes, you're putting so much time, effort, and energy and doing such a great job on this, um, on the Monumental Sports Network and obviously everything Monumental is doing, but it really kind of affirms your strategic position that Monumental Sports is more than just a sports and entertainment company, it's a media company. Um, you want to take us kind of behind the scenes of like why that thinking is so much different than just thinking of a sports and entertainment company? Well, I think that, you know, the media business is undergoing significant change. But, you know, like I mentioned, sport, one of the things that really um, I think is so wonderful about working in the sports business world is that you touch on so many other industries in at least some sort of tangential way. Media is a great example of that. Um, there's so many great sports technology initiatives here as well. And, you know, we even remind ourselves internally that, hey, we are a media business. When you look at our company's revenues, or uh, you look at really any professional sports team's revenues, a significant chunk is coming from those media dollars. Um, we're not even really competing with other teams from a, a business perspective. We're competing for people's time and attention these days. We're competing um, for your eyes to watch the, the television screen as opposed to looking, you know, browsing your social media uh, feed on your iPhone. Um, we're competing with all of the great programming that's being produced um, and distributed on platforms like Netflix and Hulu and soon to be Quibi and more. And so uh, we are really in a um, um, sort of a, a, a battle for attention and time, and that's the business of media. Um, so we want to focus on creating really unique experiences, um, exceptional, fostering exceptional communities of interest, and I think we do a fabulous job of that in our building and in our arena, and we want to continue to expand 
our reach and make our teams as accessible as possible outside of the building as well, too. And one of the things that you talked about expanding your reach outside of the building, there's kind of two tracks I want to go on, is one is the impact that you guys have on your community. It's just not about writing checks. You are really changing uh, philanthropy, in my opinion. Can you walk us through your com- uh, why community impact is so important to you and your company? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that because, you know, most of the time we are focused on the business. Right, but a community is business, so if you forget one, then you don't have the other. Yes, but ultimately this is a very, very unique business. Uh, We treat Monumental and our teams like a community platform, like a public trust. And we understand that we hold a little bit of the city's morale in our hands. When the team uh, makes the playoffs and goes on a run, people are excited and the buzz is palpable. When we don't play well and we miss the playoffs, we feel the angst and the frustration too. Um, We understand that we have a responsibility to give back to our community in more ways than one. Our president of external affairs, Monica Dixon, just rolled out a brand new 12-month social impact plan where we highlight and really um, support one charity per month, leveraging all of our marketing channels, all of our social media reach, and our in-house, in-arena marketing assets, plus all the dollars raised from events like our 50-50 raffle or our other special events that we invite corporate partners or guests or fans to, featuring our players and more. And then we ask our players and our employees to donate their time, too. We spend a lot of volunteer hours at special events um, hosted by a variety of different charities in our region and we're doing a a, a special focus on Ward 7 and 8 um, where our new practice facility for the Washington Wizards is located as well as our 4,500 person arena. So um, I feel very lucky my my team and I, we do a monthly service event um, with Martha's Table Joyful Food Markets. They turn into great team building events and the fact that our company allows employees to volunteer and take a day to do that without having to take a day off um, is a fabulous opportunity for all the full-timers here at Monumental. We really do take that seriously. We want to be great neighbors. We take a lot of pride in the fact that our building is privately owned and financed, and we've generated a lot of economic stimulus within a three- to five-block radius of our building. We'd like to continue to do that and be positive contributors to our our neighbors here in the DMV. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, Capital One Arena being privately financed and everything that you're developing around it. Maybe I'm extra interested in this as we are building a brand new ballpark in Worcester, Massachusetts with $100 million of uh, you know uh, development around the ballpark. It's more than just a ballpark built in a neighborhood. And it sounds like you did something very similar uh, at the Capital One Arena. Why is it that you thought that was the right strategic play to just not say, all right, we're going to take all the, you know, the public's dollars and just build an arena and nothing else that you thought this through of more of a development 365 day a year play than just you know the capitals games and the wizards games well the decision was made by the late abe poland who uh, really saw a great vision for downtown washington dc and it's a vision that i think matches in um, complete alignment with how we think of our region um, we see incredible benefits to arenas in local urban areas. Um, One of the great things uh, about Capital One Arena is its accessibility. Um, We have the third busiest metro station located underneath our arena, 
and we have we're the number one pickup and drop off destination for Uber in the entire Mid Atlantic. So no kidding! That's a, what a cool, arena. what a cool, what a cool thing to have under your belt. Number one yeah, Uber drop off exactly. place. Huh. We, we get over 3 million people through our turnstiles annually. We host uh, well over 400 events, depending on how you count them. We have over 225 um, um, uh, active nights per year. Where I know our building staff sometimes wishes they had more dark nights to complete maintenance and, 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 and convert the building into the next event. I mean, this building truly comes alive. And, you know, when you see all of the 100-plus restaurants surrounding our building on game nights, they're typically full of red, white, and blue from the jerseys that our teams wear. Um, it's a great reflection of the power of sports and the ability for us to galvanize communities um, and bring people to one place to celebrate teams that they love. I love it. I love that philosophy, and uh, I think we're going to try to mimic it as much as we can in Worcester. So uh, we might have to make a road trip down there, and I have to, you know, actually, uh, you know, shake your hand and meet you, and thank thank you for coming on to Front Office Features. <laughs> that would be fabulous. You're welcome anytime. Come to a game. We love it. We love it. Um, let's talk about something, to use a corny pun, that you're betting big on is the sports betting industry. It's just a, been a rocket ship, and you guys have been on the forefront of sports betting really for a while now. Can you take us through the internal discussions that you've had about sports betting and why your company is just, why Monumental Sports is thinking that sports betting is such a powerful piece of the sports industry? Well, the legalization and regulation of sports betting, I think, has been a long time coming. This is not something that's happened overnight. Um, we first were exposed to the sports betting world um, close to six years ago. Um, my dad's growth equity fund, Revolution Growth, had an opportunity to invest in a great company called Sport Radar, which is the leading data supplier to bookmakers, daily fantasy platforms, and media networks for all sports-related data. Their key advantages are that they provide data with zero latency, which is incredibly important for bookmakers, particularly when they're offering in-play opportunities. They offer data that is ensured to be 100% accurate, so there aren't points adjustments after the fact. And the most intriguing part and the thing that really piqued our interest was the fact that they really featured great integrity assurances and services. And what that means is they're able to align the big data sets that they have acquired over time um, for data of what's happening on the field of play or on the court or on the ice rink and correlate it directly against the betting market. And so with those separate data points, they're able to spot any potential match fixing, and they've worked with local authorities in other parts of the world to jail teams. They really are a great police tool um, for ensuring the integrity of sport. And so they opened our eyes to the U.K. market, the U.K. market is a market where uh, sports betting is completely regulated and legalized. Uh, sports betting is not a boogeyman. It's regulated and it's taxed. Um, one of the things that I think we, we finally had to start to grapple with and, and get our heads around was the fact that um, if the goal of making sports betting illegal in this country was to eliminate it, it certainly wasn't accomplishing that goal because you would read reports 
that you know the reported handle was anywhere between a couple hundred billion dollars and five hundred billion dollars across the U.S. The only people that that advantages uh, um, are, are, are criminals, frankly, criminals who aren't worried about locking out problem gamers, who aren't paying taxes on on their uh, work, um, and who certainly aren't looking out for the American consumer. And so, it, instead of sticking our heads in the sand, I think it just makes sense for us to be adults about it and regulate this and tax it and allow those funds to uh, support school systems or whatever a local jurisdiction would like to support um, and also to have the teams have uh, the leagues have a say and a seat at the table to ensure that it's rolled out appropriately and in a safe way um, that supports American consumerism and so we've invested in companies like DraftKings and a real-time gaming platform called WinView um, we've also struck a deal with William Hill. William Hill will be our official sports betting operator at Monumental Sports Entertainment. They will lease um, about, you know, 20,000-ish square feet um, within our four walls at Capital One Arena to operate a, a, a live sports book, an F&B premium F&B experience that is open and available even outside of live game windows. And so for us, you know, we talked about how busy our arena can get, um, but that's typically only between the hours of 6 p.m. and, say, 10.30 p.m. Um, other than that, we're in our offices here, but there's a 20,000-person arena bowl that's sitting empty at the present moment. Um, there's an opportunity to bring new life to our building outside of the live game window and create really interesting communal experiences for those people who might be interested in placing illegal sports bets. I think our goal should be to capture as much of the illegal market as possible and bring it into the light. And operators like William Hill and others, um, they're incredibly sophisticated operators adhering to incre an incredibly sophisticated amount of regulation. Um, they know their customers. They're able to identify and spot problem gamers to really um, stop things before they get uh, before they you know run into any trouble. Um, but also facilitate an appropriate environment that's fun and that casual sports fans, along with hardcore sports betters alike can really come to enjoy. I think when you come to the Sportsbook at Capital One Arena, you'll see a really refined and high-end experience. We won't, it won't feel like a hokey sports bar. We want this to feel more like stock trading um, than I'd say the stereotypical sports betting atmosphere that I think people imagine when they hear about this opportunity. Your, your vision is unbelievable. I, I love that you know William Hill is going to come in there and lease 20,000 square feet and be able to be actually in arena. Where do you see sports betting when in five years? Right, We talk again. I'm at the uh, Capital One Arena. We're sitting down. What does sports betting look like around America? Am I being able to place bets at you know Fenway Park, or am I going to be able to do this at Wrigley Field? What are your what What do you think will be the sports betting landscape in 2025? I think it's obviously of critical importance that all operators roll this out in a thoughtful and appropriate way. 
You know, our experiences here are wonderful for all sorts of different audiences, including families. And so for those people who aren't interested in sports betting, it really shouldn't be an in-your-face experience. It should be an opt-in experience. And I think that's what we're going to build. Or if you'd like to place a sports bet, you can go to a specific part of our arena to place a, to place a legal bet. Or you can access an app on your own volition. Or you can channel up to NBC Sports Washington Plus to watch an alternate betting feed. I think the other thing that you'll start to see um, is, is the switch between pregame and futures opportunities to more in-play betting opportunities. Huh. Right now in the, in the United Kingdom, about 70% of betting activity happens on in-play bets, things Se that are happening during the game. You said 70? About 70%. Holy cow. And in the U.S., it's nearly the opposite. And so I think that's the sign of a market that's, you know, immature here in the United States. And, you know, we'll start to see new data sets and new opportunities appear over time. You know, I think when most people were watching the MLB playoffs, they were intrigued by the new data sets that were being shared. Um, when a, whenever a player would hit a home run, you'd see the uh, angle uh, of, the, of the ball being hit off the bat and also the exit velocity of the ball off the bat. Those are all in-play style opportunities um, that could be bet on in the future. I think there's so much data out there coming from every single granular play on a court or on a field or on the rink um, and we're just not exposed to it yet and I think we'll become more and more aware of that over time. A good example of that would be what the NHL is doing with the puck and player tracking program. Uh, I know that they plan to roll that out over the uh, next season or two. Um, that's going to be so illuminating in terms of what actually is happening on the ice. I think that data junkies, casual sports fans, casual bettors and hardcore sports bettors will all find that information quite valuable. I think my personal opinion is I think sports betting you're going to look go back and look into you know uh, when you're in 2025 looking back at 2020 you're going to be like that's how we did it. It's just going to be like mind blowing. That's just going to feel like you know ancient times. And I just think sports betting is just on the rise. And I love your statistic about seventy percent in game, and that's the op is in uh, the UK being bet, and then that's the opposite in uh, the United States. And it's just kind of you can kind of see where the wind is taking you, where the ship is taking you. It's it's really uh, incredible. And kudos on just being on the forefront of that. And speaking about being on the forefront is. Is you guys in esports? We just talked about what the NHL is doing, the Wizards uh, district gaming that you've got, Team Liquid. There's like 400 million viewers and over a billion dollars of revenue in esports. Things, speaking of like 2025, like where do you see esports going, and how does Monumental fit into the growth of esports? Well, esports is incredibly intriguing to us because it's the first live event category that's digital first and linear second, and it's really reaching a brand new audience that doesn't have very much overlap with traditional stick and ball sports. Um, this is a very different culture that's been organically driven by an audience that's highly engaged, um, that's incredibly smart, 
um, and that just has just used gaming as a different kind of social media platform. I remember when I would come home from grade school, I would come home and turn on AOL Instant Messenger and have a bunch of chat rooms going and be talking with all of my friends about the day and what was happening at school. Um, nowadays, kids are coming home and they're putting on a headset and they're socializing with their friends by playing Fortnite or by playing other games. And so these are great communal social connection points as well. So it's continuing to grow, of course, I think that esports in the future as a category will certainly raise itself to the level of one of the major four leagues. Um, you know, monthly active usership and monthly active viewers suggest that, and this is not a flash in the pan anymore. League of Legends, for example, is approaching a decade of activity, and it's continued to increase in terms of size and scale every single year and so did i hear some crazy statistic that like i don't know 10% of the internet usage worldwide is like on league of legends <laughs> it's so, maybe it was a fake internet stat but it was out of this world and i somewhat believed it it's significant um, you know when amazon purchased twitch um, I think they made a pretty good acquisition, get, you know, gathering just an enormous amount of data and eyeballs um, on what is really the flagship for esports streaming right now. And so, you know, it's an incredibly exciting time uh, to see the development of esports. E it's been embryonic in nature. It is evolving on a monthly, if not weekly, basis. Um, we learn a lot from esports, and I think that we can provide value when it comes to our sales and marketing organization and venue management and rights management. Um, league structures and franchising and players unions. I think there's a lot that the esports community wants to learn from professional sports leagues and, and, and also just start to elevate the conversation. Um, gamers are, are no longer sort of the stereotypical um, person in, in a basement drinking Mountain Dew and eating Cheetos. <laughs> Are, by the way, I think I was that kid. By the way, you know, playing yeah, playing mad and drinking Mountain Dew. I and, uh, but now these players are competing for millions of dollars worth of uh, prize money. They're practicing for 12 to 14 hours a day. They're focused on their sleep and nutrition and their physical fitness because every single bit makes a difference uh, to their performance. And, and a team like so, you've got full-time people dedicated to nutrition and sleep and the whole thing, right? We do. We have a practice facility in Santa Monica, uh, Los Angeles. And the team will be uh, debuting a, a new practice facility in Europe in the not-too-distant future as well. So esports are truly global and international, too, uh, with tournaments taking place all over the world. I think that's one of the key advantages that esports have. As it, it's, it's global in its nature, and it's global from the start without geo-affiliations for teams um, right off the bat. I think that geo-affiliation is something that esports is growing into, and we're excited to potentially be a part of that in the future. And guys and girls play on the same team. There's not a guys team and there's not a girls team. They're all intermingled. It's just whoever gets a high score. I agree. I think that you know esports can be for everyone. 
Uh, the NBA 2K League, for example, has done an excellent job with this. They've developed a female gamer development program, and truly the 2K League is the only co-ed um, league off the NBA platform. We had a female player in the league last year, and I think that it's everyone's goal, hope, and expectation that we have more female gamers in the league next year, too. Um, so it'd be a fabulous opportunity for us to be able to draft one um, if luck goes our way in the upcoming draft on February 22nd, um, we'd love to continue to foster that um, opportunity in the future. Your score is your score. It doesn't matter where you were born, what your race is, what your religion is, what your gender is, what your sexual orientation is. If you can play, you can play. I think that's a fabulous opportunity for eSports. You were a sports business journal 40 under 40. That's like the gold standard of awards in the sports business industry. What was your reaction when you got the phone call saying, hey, Zach, you're going to be 40 under 40 under sport in sports business journal? I was surprised and very honored. I'm uh, uh, an avid reader of sports business journal, and I was also um, very thankful to our organization, Monumental Sports Entertainment. I probably get more credit than I deserve from um, a lot of the other executives who are doing really fabulous work here. Our president of business operations, Jim Van Stone. Our president of venue operations, Dave Tui. Our CFO, Peter Boucher. I mentioned Monica Dixon. Frankly, my father and, and many others here deserve a lot of credit for um, a lot of the fabulous growth that we've seen, the new additions and the new acquisitions acquisitions that we've made, um, it's a lot of fun to uh, ride their coattails sometimes. It's awesome. What, a, what, a, what an honor. Congratulations. Obviously, extremely um, well-deserved. So, as you well know, we are a podcast aimed at up-and-coming sports executive, executives. How do you think that they can become the next uh, Zach Leonsis to be the next 40 under 40? What do you see in the best young sports executives uh, in your organization? Well, the things that I really value and people that I work with are, it starts with pretty simple stuff, a really positive attitude, and a can-do attitude where I can find the solution as opposed to I have a problem and I need you to fix it. It's sort of a basic outlook on work and on life, and if you have a can-do attitude, you're willing to experiment, you're not afraid to fail, you're allowed, you're allowed to ask questions, um, you're probably going to be successful. And then I also really value people who are comfortable accepting responsibilities that are outside of their typical job description. Um, we are, as we discussed, you know, entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial in nature. We are starting and launching new programs and businesses. And in any entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial endeavor, there are going to be things that pop up that require attention. And so having people rise to the occasion and say, I got this, I can handle this, I can solve this problem, I can deliver on this uh, opportunity for us, that's an incredibly valuable asset. And people who take on more and more work and are eager to fill the gap when a gap exists, um, I think are typically rewarded for that. And then the last bit is not being um, overly ambitious when it comes to you know, being territorial. Being a team player, understanding that the success of a team as opposed to just your individual project is really what matters. Because if your one project is successful but the rest of the team isn't, everyone shares the blame. It's just like professional sports. 
you don't go to the playoffs unless the entire team is good, and that's sort of the, the cultural dynamic that obviously we want to promote here at Monumental. Great advice. I love it. We talk about uh, effort and attitude. You give the proverbial 110% and do it with a smile on your face. We can teach you the rest. Yeah, all of the hard skills we can walk you through, we can train you up, you know, we can go to different classes, we can bring in consultants and experts, it's those soft skills, it's the, you know, how great is it to work with you and how competent are you, how reliable are you, and, you know, can, can we trust you to do the work? Those are the soft skills that are, are the most valuable in my opinion. Love it. One last fun question before we both got to go. Craziest Alexander Ovechkin story. <laughs> uh, my craziest Alex Ovechkin story. I have several, but uh, you know, one of the things that I, I don't think people realize is that um, you know Alex is just a phenomenal athlete in almost any sport he plays. When he first came over to the U.S. when he was 19 years old, he came over to our home, and we I invited some friends over to play a game of basketball, and Alex schooled all of us. Really. Um, shooting three-point shots, he was dunking, he was throwing behind-the-back passes. I think he gets it from his mom, who was a gold medalist uh, for Russia in women's basketball. No kidding, I didn't know that. But Alex has some truly God-given talents, and he is as special of a person as he is an athlete. And I think when we won the Stanley Cup, and you saw moments like, you know, with Alex where he's in the fountains with our <laughs> I loved players. him, I was dying laughing. <laughs> That enthusiasm is just so genuinely him. That is, that is the happiness that he likes to bring to the rink every day. You can see the passion of, that he plays with um, as a teammate. Um, the rest of the team loves playing with them. We are so very lucky to have Alex Ovechkin on the team. and you know, He had three hat tricks in about six or seven games a couple of weeks ago. And Nowadays, when I, I see that unfold in front of us, I really just think about how lucky we are to have him in Washington. So he's a fabulous player and a very worthy champion as well. There's not many 700 goal scores you could say that you worked with for an extended period of time. That is very true. Well, Zach, uh, I am so thankful that you take the, took the time and uh, enjoyed me here on Front Office Features. It's just uh, an honor to speak with you. Congratulations on all the success, and uh, we look forward to seeing what Monumental and uh, what you are going to do in the future. It's just an awesome company, a forward-thinking company, and uh, so appreciative that you took uh, your very valuable time and, uh, and joined me today. Uh, it's very kind of you to have me, Rob. I really appreciate it. Big fan of the pod, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, listening to it later on. Awesome. Spread the word, my friend. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks.